51% goes to a trust. So that trust is the people who own that stock. It's a people. So it's not really a people, it's an entity that owns 51%. They are the representatives of the staff. So any profit sharing, like they administer it, like they're the ones who are in charge of that. And the way that that will work is that, you know, if we have 100 employees, like everyone gets distributions equally after like six months of being at Firebrand. This is Evolve CPG's Brands for a Better World podcast, featuring purpose-driven leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Thanks to you, our listeners, this podcast is now ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Let's not stop there, though. You can help us reach more people by taking a moment to leave us a rating or review, which is critical for podcast algorithms, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your network. The more people we reach, the more good we can bring about in this world. If you work in the industry, you can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Matt Krutz, CEO of Firebrand Artisan Breads, about why he built a company to end the cycle of recidivism and homelessness, how he made his employees owners and secured the long-term mission of the company, why he feels the service industry deserves more respect, and I agree, and much more. My name is Matt. I am the CEO and founder of Firebrand Artisan Breads. We're based in Oakland, California, and we make uh, delicious breads and pastries that we distribute throughout the Bay Area. And we focus on people who are hiring people who are are formerly homeless or formerly incarcerated. Awesome. Thanks for carving out some time to chat, Matt. I'm excited to dig into this and share the story a little bit more. One of the first things that really struck me when I learned about you and Firebrand was the really bold and simple statement about your mission on the website where you say that you don't hire people to bake bread, you bake bread to hire people. And it's just so bold and simple, beautiful mission. I love it. Where did that drive to build a business aimed at ending the cycle of recidivism and homelessness come from? So it's kind of been like an evolving mission for us, you know, I mean, starting with personally from me, my mom experiencing kind of issues with the criminal justice system and having kind of fallen on hard times as a family and having to do things that she wasn't proud of that ended kind of in her going to jail for a bit. And just kind of coming from that experience, seeing a lot of people growing up kind of make bad decisions or kind of have to make bad decisions because of things foisted on them um, or lack of opportunities. And then seeing kind of what that does to people, even after they get out of, of prison or jail and seeing kind of being go, them going into kind of third class citizens and having to deal with a whole web of things that kind of permanently put them behind the eight ball. And you kind of think, oh, well, they're out. Now the sky's the limit. And, and really now they're kind of 50 steps behind. Now they could be massively in debt. They could kind of have a lot of fines. They now like have a strike on their record. They now have a lack of job, lack of housing. A lot of public services are not now open to them. And so kind of seeing what kind of that does to people, we wanted to kind of fire brand to see what we could do to affect that change. You know, we were kind of homeless here for the first kind of about a year there at Firebrand. We were sleeping at our bakery there 
our first bakery and then showering at the Y, which is now across from our retail cafe, ironically. But we were showering there just trying to make Firebrand work. So just kind of a combination of all those things we wanted to see how can we use a business to really affect change? You know, looking at people like, you know, Richelieu Dennis, you know, Shea Moisture, who's kind of like, you know, he has a mission with a business, not a business with a mission. And how can we kind of like take that idea and really kind of grow that every year to kind of have a little more and more impact every year, kind of starting with our hiring practice, which we've always done for almost 15 years, just what's called what's now called open hiring. We didn't know Grayson Bakery existed at the time, but it really just was, you know, a name on a clipboard. And if you want a job, you come in and we'll give you a shot. You know, no resumes, no cover letters, no background checks, no formal job interviews. Just kind of come in and can you do the job? Do you want to learn? Do you want to be a part of the team? You know, and and that's really how that kind of started. And just every year kind of adding more and more to that as we've as we've grown. And we've got about 100 people now. And yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it seems like when I ask people kind of where some of their passion originally came from, some of these stories start from personal experience. Like, for example, maybe people who went on to be a doctor or to focus on fitness or nutrition had like unhealthy people in their family or someone like, you know, Mike Fatta, who was on the show from uh, Manitoba Harvest, he himself was really overweight and decided he needed to get his life together and got healthy and then found health foods and founded a hemp food company and so on and so forth. So similar to this, like you having personal experience with what this is like with people, loved ones or people you know who are out there struggling with the after effects of having been incarcerated or something like that and seeing how much of a struggle it is for them, it makes it so much more real and and you understand the problem better as opposed to, you know, a bunch of people getting together in a boardroom who've never had any struggles in their life deciding they want to make an impact and picking some community that's being affected and deciding they're going to go help them. Often those solutions come in like white knight kind of solutions and they don't really understand the problem and they almost insult the people more than they help them, right? But I think when that mission comes from personal experience, with yourself or your loved ones, your family, your friends, whatever, you come at it from such a more pure angle and you're able to build something that works better, I think. So that's really powerful. Yeah. And I think we like, my mom always said, like, if you want to know where someone's going, you look at their feet, not their mouth. And so for like the first decade, like we didn't have a website, like we didn't talk about any of the things we did. We didn't talk, like we didn't use terms like target population, like we didn't do any of that. No one really knew we did any of that kind of stuff just because we wanted to make sure that we're, we're not doing it to be exploitative. Like we're not doing it to like elevate others. Like it was just something we wanted to do and we wanted to work with cool people. We wanted to work with people who like, we wanted to be inclusive, but we wanted to actually be doing it and not just be talking about it. So we really didn't talk about it for like a decade and just tried to like, find best practices, learn, like do the best we can before we even like discussed it. You know I mean? Growing up, like I grew up in the punk rock community and it was always like about being inclusive and like about like bringing in people who didn't get chances, opportunities who were overlooked. And then combining that with the food service industry where it's like people who are generally kind of shit on like all the time. (laughs) And then how can we kind of bring all those people into the fold to actually build a bakery of like this kind of whole population of people, you know, like we always say, like, 
we're like kind of like the bad news bears of bakeries, you know, like we're kind of just like this ragtag crew. And we've always maintained that even 15 years later, for better or for worse, we've always kind of maintained that and kind of embraced that idea of like, hey, man, like, yeah, we're a bakery, but we're really in the people business, you know, and we're really all about people. And if we're about people, people are messy. Just inherently, people are messy. And if you're going to be about people, you have to embrace that level of chaos that comes with that and not try to like stamp that out of people. And so we've always kind of tried to create a culture that like the circle always gets bigger and the circle changes all the time. As new people come in, like we don't want you to come into Firebrand and be like conform to our box. It's like, no, come in and then see how the box can kind of morph and change based on like what you add to it and what you bring to it. And that's like kind of crazy and chaotic and, you know, I don't know if that's smart or not, but it's just kind of what we've done for 15 years almost. And just how do we like, how do we just make that circle bigger and kind of dynamic? Yeah. I feel like I just mentioned this on a recent podcast. So for regular listeners, I feel a little repetitive, but it reminds me of something that I kind of wrote on my desk a little while back. It's like flipping this idea that it's not personal, it's business, right? I think a lot of people say that to justify layoffs or you know, keeping low wages or doing all this other kind of stuff. They're like, hey, it's not personal. I would love to help you, but I've got to run a business here. Whereas what you're doing, what I think makes more sense is it's not just business. It's always personal because <laughs> whether you're working with another business or an individual, it's all people, right? And whatever you do affects those other people. And in theory, if you take good care of your people, they'll take good care of your business and take care, good care of your customers, et cetera. So it's a good virtuous cycle. Whereas when you just do the, it's just business, you're going to you know, push people away from the business. Nobody's going to be loyal to you. They're going to jump ship as soon as a better offer comes around or you know, whatever else. There's just all these negative outcomes of treating people like numbers on a spreadsheet rather than human beings. Yeah. And I think like that's a pretty easy way to go. Right. Just be like, hey, well, it's business. Like, I don't have to, like, give a shit. I mean, it's kind of like a chicken shit idea, but like, it's a third of their day is here at Firebrand. And then it's like, like, we always say, like, if you were going to terminate somebody, if we're going to let them go, like, you have that is one of the most, like, serious conversations we have at Firebrand. Like, you damn well better take that seriously. You have to treat them with respect. You have to look them in the eye. Like you have to do like we have like this whole like kind of like group of things like you have to do like our side of the street needs to be very, very clean on this issue. Like that person needs to walk into the room and be very clear why they're there before they got there. Like there can be no mystery. There can be no doubt. Like it has to be crystal clear Um, because we take it seriously because not only like you know, if you're trying to get back on your feet or you're trying, you know, you were homeless, now you got a job, like, man, we got it. like, that has to be treated with a massive amount of respect. And it doesn't mean that we can't be a business and it doesn't mean that we can't have rules and it doesn't mean that we can't have standards. Like we are getting better as a business about creating standards and, and doing all that kind of stuff. But like, it also means that you have to be very clear about what you're doing to this person. And it doesn't mean the decision has to change. It just means that you have to be aware of that. You know, it's why I I know every single person's name here. I always know things about them. I know their kids. I know, like, I try to get to know people the best I can at having 100 people when it's like, but I have to know the person because if something goes wrong, I need to know what's going on, like how that's going to affect their lives. And 
we have to be okay with that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, whenever we've had to let people go in modern species, even though it's a different situation and, you know, it's easier for them to just go get another job, we still understand that it's it's a big blow. So what we've typically done is say, hey, this obviously isn't working out for one reason or another. Maybe it's the job isn't a fit, the type of work isn't a fit, the hours, whatever it is, isn't a fit. So why don't you take the next, you know, three months and look for another job? If you find another job, we won't fire you. If you find if you don't find another job, we'll fire you so you can get unemployment. Um, but we just give them those options because it affects people, right? Like not everyone has the luxury of being in some high paid tech job where you get quote unquote downsized, and that means you get a severance of like five years of a regular person's salary. <laughs> you get to just semi retire for a little while while you figure out what you want to do with your life. For most working people you let them go, that means they might lose their apartment. They might struggle to find another job because now they've got a firing on the record. There's just so many things that snowball from that situation. So I and love that you're... there's also pride. There's also pride and of like, they have to go back to their families, their loved ones, like, and tell them they got fired or let go or like, like, that's also a big blow. Like, there's pride in work. There's pride in effort. There's like, all of those things matter in someone's day. So it's not, it's beyond like, just like yeah there's money and yes there's all those things that are massively important it's also like a shot to your ego that like which you know isn't like our job to manage but you have to be aware of it yeah and especially because you know it's it's not always that you're getting let go because you're a bad person or something you're getting let go because you and the job weren't the best fit (laughs) so it's not necessarily a judgment on you but to your point it can be a massive blow to somebody's identity, especially if this is part of them trying to rebuild their identity and then they get let go, you know, so that makes sense. And another thing I, I like about what you're saying is that you you just kind of did the work for a long time before talking about it, which I think is kind of the opposite of greenwashing. You see a lot of big corporations, like the second they decide to do some sort of social give back thing, there's press releases, they're talking about it on big stages, they're putting out ad campaigns, they've created a new logo for to like, and trademarked whatever this thing is that they do now, like, they just go all in to let everyone know all this good they're doing. And it comes across as inauthentic often, because it's like, well, great. So you've done this like once, and you just started it, and you haven't been doing it before. And like, how does this make sense for your brand? But for a company like yours, by the time you start talking about it, people have seen you walking that walk, walking that talk for so long that it's like, well, of course, yeah, we, we know you've been doing that. And now it's much more clear because you just put that really brilliant headline on your website or something like that, you know? Yeah. And we didn't even like do that until we literally changed our corporate structure to like enshrine it into our corporate structure. <laughs> so like by the time we started talking about it, it was something we legally had to do. Right. Okay. And in fact, that was going to be one of my later questions, but we can jump a bit into that right now. Um, So I know last we were talking, you were telling me a bit about that corporate structure and how your purpose is baked in, to use a little pun here, baked into the corporate structure. I think what you said you ended up shifting to is a trust model. Can you explain how and why you settled on that? Yeah. So that's got a little bit of attention lately because Patagonia has transitioned into a similar structure. So we were looking, we were fundraising, and we were looking, you know, it was our first time doing equity after like 12 years or so. And so talking to various CPG groups, private equity firms, and we were kind of like just not finding like a really good fit for the company. You know, I wanted to retain ownership of the company. 
And I wanted to like retain the mission of the company and expand the mission of the company, not only just retain it. And so we were kind of looking for like, what would be a good solution for that? And, and being in the service industry, we want like, in the, we've always kind of asked ourselves every year, like, what's a good job? Like, what is a good job? Like, if we say we're providing a good job, what's the definition of that? And so that's kind of morphed and expanded every year. And so we were kind of thinking, well, how do we give equity to staff? Right. Like because most of our, our employees don't get care about like owning 0.001% of Firebrand. But it's like, how do we make that check fatter? How do we incentivize them and give them education to make the check fatter? And so we kind of looked at co-op structures and just growing up, like, like I said, in the kind of punk rock world, for me, co-op was just like, it just seemed like a nightmare for me personally, not in the real world, just me personally. Uh, we looked at ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans, but we're looking at kind of what organically grown company did, which is a company based in Oregon that was an ESOP and transitioned to a trust. And we didn't want the threat of a takeover at any point. And under an ESOP, once you cross certain thresholds, like you, you might you might be vulnerable to a takeover. So we didn't want that. You know, we wanted the company to be sustainable over the long run, protect the mission, uh, while providing flexibility to be able to fundraise. And so we came up on this idea of a trust structure based on kind of what organically run a company had done. And so we basically, what that meant was functionally, I had 100% ownership of the company. I gave 51% of the company to a trust, uh, which is a third party. I like to think about it like a, like a lockbox. So all this, those 51% are put in the lockbox and can't be sold. So the company ownership always stays with that trust. It can't, we can't have another majority owner of the company. It also means that all profits of the company have to be reinvested in the company and for the people who are involved in the company. Um, as part of that, too, we transitioned to a public benefit corporation, and that public benefit corporation, enshrined, along with the trust, enshrined that we have a set of purposes in our charter. So that ranges from open book management teaching, profit sharing, the hiring of, of formerly homeless, formerly incarcerated, you know, fair and equitable purchasing practices. Like There's a whole litany of stuff that we are now legally accountable to that can never change. You know, One thing we all wanted, too, is Firebrand's been very, like, me-centric for a long time and we really wanted to be like if i get hit by a bus like what happens like if i get hit by a bus does the mission change if i get hit by a bus does the corporate structure change like i didn't want any of that to happen like i wanted to give the company flexibility obviously but we wanted it to be like where that mission can never change like that like that can never be changed by anybody no matter who you are even me at this point i can't change it so we also wanted it to be like, just make sure that the future of the company was always kind of safe and secure and not dependent on me, me alone. So we also kind of democratized a lot of some of our decision making. We had employees that are on the trust stewardship committee, which governs that trust. We have community members on that board. We also have a regular kind of like operating board, a typical kind of management board, which includes an employee on that board as well. And so try to kind of democratize a lot of the decision making. And then using open book management to like kind of help teach people like, hey, here's how we run the business. Here's the strategy of the business. Here's the goals of the business. Like, here's what you could do to affect that change. And if you do, then here's the profits that then can be reinvested back to you personally. So trying to kind of like create that that kind of circular loop um, for people. 
Yeah, not the easiest structure to explain, I'll say that. But, <laughs> you know, but it is, yeah. I think, for us, kind of provided the best, like, growth flexibility, mission protection. That's what we were going for. That's cool. And I love hearing about it because I've always thought maybe I would do something similar with modern species when I'm starting to think about future exits at some point, but maybe even before then is, is I'd rather give it to the team than sell it to some other agency or something that's just going to destroy it and yeah. uh, kill the mission and water it down, et cetera. But to your same point, like co-op models and ESOPs and stuff have some cons that go along with them. And they have some great things too. Like I never like to kind of shit on any, any form of like employee ownership. I think with it, which a trust is considered, you know, I think I don't, I think they're all great in their own right. It's just a matter of like, what's your goals? Like, what's your mission? Like, what's the goal for you personally? What's the goal for the company? And then finding a structure for some people, co-op works amazing for some people an ESOP works amazing. Like it just, it really depends on what your goals are as a company. But I mean, it, any one of those three solutions can be awesome. Yeah, but like you said, I, I, the ESOP, you can get forced into a buyout or whatever. Like what happened with New Belgium, who was also yeah. pretty sure at ESOP, and, and they got forced into selling, right? So 100%. things like that happen or co-ops, you know, there's complications with, you know, decision-making and running things through the board and so on and so forth. It, it, all business models have pros and cons, right? Yeah. But I, I liked hearing about this because this one was a new one to me. But you said 51% goes gets distributed to the employees. How was the percentage distributed? Was it based on how long they've been with the company or something like that? Like, or did everyone get an equal percentage or is everyone just, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So 51% goes to a trust. So that trust is the people who own that stock, the people. So it's not really a people, it's an entity that owns 51%. They are the representatives of the staff. So any profit sharing, like they administer it, like they're the ones who are in charge of that. And the way that that will work is that, you know, if we have 100 employees, like everyone gets distributions equally after like six months of being at Firebrand. So that's kind of like how that will work. But the trust just distributes that out. So after investors are paid and then, you know, profits are there, you know, we pay all of our debts, taxes, liabilities, and anything we have left, you know, left gets distributed evenly across the employees. Uh, I'm, I'll be considered one employee, so like I get, you know, I get the same distribution that a dishwashers get. So it just it would be spread out. Cool. Okay, and then the forty nine percent that you retained is where you could still kind of play with investors and and offer them some equity from that slice, but the fifty one percent is locked, and no investor, to your point, can ever come in, own a majority, and, and decide to change things. Yeah, we can add more. The goal is kind of over you know, the next five, 10 years is to like continue to add shares back to that 51% and grow that 51% until it's eventually 100%. Um, but we kind of, you know, one step at a time kind of grow the company so that at the end of the day, like I said, it's 100% in the trust. Because you could add to the trust, but you just can't take away. Okay, cool. Love it. So beyond trying to create meaningful work for folks who might struggle a little bit more than others to find work and now giving them kind of part ownership in the company. I know you also do other things to try to help kind of support their personal growth or give them, you know, whatever benefits you can offer, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit more about all the ways you kind of support the team members too? Sure. So we moved into this new space here in Alameda behind me. And as part of that, we opened up a worker resource center here 
which is staffed by a group called Five Keys. And Five Keys kind of works inside prisons, outside prisons to help try to provide employment, you know, within 90 days. And that's our kind of like our sweet spot of where we try to find impact, which is kind of the most difficult time period, but it's the most critical time period is like within 90 days of being released. Like that's where we also try to kind of hire folks from and people who kind of also hire people who are formerly incarcerated kind of do different models. Some people will only hire after a year or so we try to do within 90 days of being released because that's like the hardest time period for folks. So with the five key staffs it and we also so out of there we do GED classes, we're going to start ESL classes. We work with a couple of nonprofits to do like financial literacy classes. A big problem is trying to get people into the banking system because most people don't have IDs, social security cards, they don't have bank accounts. They're carrying we have a lot of people who are in shelters and they're carrying cash under their pillows. And so it's like, how do we get you into a banking relationship as quickly as possible? And so we work with what's called like focus cards and then try to get people into a bank, you know, as quickly as possible and away from cash, away from, you know, sharky kind of Western Union kind of check cashing places and just try to get people as quickly as we can into the banking system. And then, like I said, with the open book management, just teaching them how to how to read the financials and run the business just like we do. Nice. That's awesome. That's beautiful stuff because I think there's so many companies trying to take better care of their employees. Some of them do it through, you know, well above minimum wage. Like I know Dr. Browners, they're always posting that like they keep posting raises and going above and above and above minimum wage or they do things like, you know, as soon as any laws get changed, like I know that they just started including psychedelic mental health treatment coverage as part of their health care since that's a big part of their brand. But, you know, there's so many different ways to take care of employees. I just love hearing all the ways that people do it in a way that makes sense for them and their team, right? Like at Modern Species, because we're constantly evolving, like part of what we do is we just actively encourage and fund personal development, professional development kind of stuff. And we try to sync up with each other and and hold each other accountable for trying that big idea or, you know, creating space for them to go write their book or create their blog or, or learn some new skill or evolve into a different role in the company or something like that. Because, you know, that's the way we can support them beyond, you know, flexible hours and all that kind of stuff. But every company creates, when companies create their own benefits package in a way that makes sense for their business. I love that rather than just the, oh, we we just offer the standard, you know, here's the checklist of five things we do and then we're done. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we, so it also depends on your company goals, right? It's like, we, we're a food business, a bakery, you know? And so it's like, we try to provide, well, our goal is that we have an average of a living wage standard at Firebrand. So we use the MIT scale, you know, no children, what's the living wage standard? And that's what we go by. And we do free healthcare through Kaiser, dental, vision. We do that stuff as well. But we also were looking at like, we can't just like always be paying more and more. Like as a business, there's only so much people are going to pay for a croissant. Like this is what it is. (laughs) But it's like, how do we, but for our kind of our group here, it's like a lot of times people have a hard time just getting to work. And so it's like, how can we affect like commuter benefits you know, we looked at putting a daycare center in here and just was just became too crazy of an idea. But like, you know, we looked at like, how can we affect people coming here? Because that's kind of a lot of like, a lot of times people are like, I can't get the bus here. Like, can we get you a clipper card for free? Yeah, Alameda does that. They provide free clipper cards. Like, let's do that. Like, how can we kind of like, look on, look beyond things that are 
here in these four walls? And how can we help you get here? Uh, because again, we try to look at people in a holistic fashion, you know, like they got kids, they got, you know, relatives, depending on whatever their situation is. And like, okay, you like, they need flexible schedules. And so we're like massively flexible with our schedules. So it's just like, how do we kind of look at people's whole lives and try to try to lean in the best we can? Yeah, it makes more sense that way because you could offer a benefit that nobody takes advantage of because it's irrelevant to them, or you can figure out what they actually need yeah. <laughs> and give them those benefits. And like yeah. you said, most companies can't just, you know, unless you're a tech company with millions of dollars just being dumped on you every second, you can't always just give salary as a benefit, right? But you can give other things. You can give flexibility. You can get clipper cards. You can connect them to resources. You, you know, there's other things you can do. And I think that's what smaller businesses or businesses that have to actually turn a profit, (laughs) that those businesses have to find more creative ways to create great benefits for their team. Yeah. And like, again, it depends on who their employees are. Like for our team, like giving people space to write their book, like isn't going to be relevant to them, but like, you know, other things will be like, we looked at like the daycare thing. The reason it didn't work. Well, one of, one of many reasons it didn't work beyond financial was that like, we to make it financially sustainable, we'd basically need to open it up to the rest of the island of Alameda, and then so we'd be basically providing daycare to people who, like, could definitely afford premium daycare and didn't necessarily like need it from us, but we're providing it almost at the exclusion of our employees. And then like most of our employees are paying grandma or their sister or their family member like four hundred bucks a month. And now I'm saying, oh, we have this beautiful daycare center and it's $2,400 a month because that's what, that's what we need to charge. That's what's going great. And no one can afford it. Like when they're used to their family members, not some stranger watching their kid. And so it just became like a mismatch for our employees. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's all about just staying in touch with your employees and knowing with whether or not what you're offering is working or not. Yeah. Right? But I think, again, a lot of companies just have their standard benefit list and they don't care whether or not you like those benefits. It's yeah. <laughs> just their package that they offer. But anytime you can actually talk to the team and see what, what's working for them, what's not working for them, like why not adjust? Just get creative with your benefits and make it work for people. Again, it just goes back to the, it's not business, it's personal, right? If you treat people like humans and not uh, numbers on a spreadsheet, then there's lots of different ways you can help them. You just have to get creative. So as I was digging into a little bit of your background, I noticed that you found your way into food at age 14. You ended up working at a bakery. And then you said you fell in love with food from that day forward. So what is it about bread and pastries that really pulled you in versus any other type of food? And what all is Firebrand doing these days for anyone out there who's like their mouth is watering, they're getting excited about what you make? (laughs) Let's paint that picture a little bit more. Well, I was 14. I needed to get a job. Me and my dad had left a couple of years before that. My mom was trying to support the house, the family on her salary. And so I needed to get a job just to like, you know, keep us afloat a little bit. And so in Virginia, where I grew up, you could get a job. I think it was like you're only allowed like 25 or 30 hours, but I got a full time 40 hour job at 14, like my on like the day, like my birthday at a little place called Bagel Buddies in Virginia. And was just like not even doing his food, just like scrubbing floors, washing dishes, taking out the trash, like, but just being around. I think what I fell in love with was the service industry. 
I fell in love first with like the people in the service industry and the idea of service was like a total match for me. I think that's really what I fell in love with first. And then it was like, oh, you can cool to create things. And like then started with like food. And then in high school, we had like a trade school within my high school. And culinary was one of the options. And so when I was a junior, I took that. And like only one or two of us was really interested in bread. And so we were kind of like allowed to kind of, they're like, cool, someone wants to do bread later. And so we were able to kind of like just do it on our own. And I just then kind of fell in love with bread specifically, kind of around the 17, you know, around there. But it was just really kind of like love working with my hands. I love creating things. I love like bread and pastry are very like, like I don't think of them as people like, oh, it's art. Like I think of it as like manual labor. Like it's very much like, endless repetitive tasks like you're doing that one baguette shape like you're doing a thousand of them or five whatever you're doing of them like it's kind of like endless it's like perfecting something on a minute scale a little by little every single day and you're just kind of like steadily getting better and it's like very nerdy and awesome in that way you know it's like no one notices but like you know like i made this baguette just this much better and like Oh, like that was like so awesome for me. I like I love that, you know. Like, uh, so I think like that was really appealing to me as well. And so, but I, and I love the manual labor aspect of it. It's a very physical job as well. And so I think, but starting getting kind of into the science of it, kind of in my late teens. But yeah, that was kind of the appeal to it. And Firebrand now, like you know, we did we started just doing breads, you know, wood fired breads down in, in kind of at the border of Emeryville and Oakland. And then moved into a cafe in 2015 where we started doing pastries, a kitchen, kind of expanded our bread program. And now we kind of focus 50, you know, breads, pastries, laminated stuff, enriched breads like brioche and rolls and deli rolls. So kind of expanded our repertoire is what we do. Started doing sliced breads about a year and a half ago in stores, which is a big leap for us. Yeah, that's what we do. Okay, so you have the one cafe, is that right? Like we have one, one cafe in downtown Oakland, and then in May, theoretically, we'll have another cafe at our bakery here in Alameda. Gotcha. And that cafe, like, do you, I assume there's like coffee plus bread plus pastries, and then is there like sandwiches or salad, like other kind of prepared foods, or does it just stick to the pastries and coffee? Yeah, so we do coffee, pastries. We also do, we do breakfast and lunch in Oakland. And then here in Alameda, we'll do the coffees, bread, pastry. We'll also do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So this is going to be like the one in Alameda will be kind of more food-focused, more meal-focused. We have a couple of breweries as neighbors, and so we're going to be providing food for them as well. So we'll have pizzas and you know, other kind of sandwiches and stuff like that. So kind of a more, much more like expanded hours and expanded food program here in Alameda. Gotcha. Okay. And then for the folks listening who aren't in California, <laughs> the best way they can try some Firebrand is going into your finding your sliced breads in stores. So can you talk a little bit about that sliced bread program and where people might find that? Well, right now, only in Northern California, but working on okay. expanding that <laughs> out here in the next, hopefully the goal is by like middle of the year, you know, we'll, start, we'll be expanding kind of in down in Southern California and down up in the Pacific Northwest, into Rocky Mountain a little bit, kind of expanding those sliced breads out. Those are 100% organic, sprouted grain breads. We're also adding like a cinnamon raisin bread that'll be upcycled with the regrain folks. And then doing another kind of like white sourdough product, which is like going to be really cool because we take our old sourdough bread and then soak it and add it back into the new bread. 
as a way of kind of reducing waste. And so that, that's a really cool project where we're excited about as well. Nice. That's cool. So for maybe people who are out there but in the sliced bread market might come up with this association, which of course I did too, which is Dave's Killer Bread, which sure. is fairly widely distributed, makes healthier, like whole grain breads. I'm pretty sure they're all organic, or if not, at least some are mostly organic. But also a somewhat similar story where Dave himself, I think, had spent some time in prison and and when he got back out, wanted to do more good in the world. And I think his family had a bakery or something like that. So he kind of talked his way into helping out with the bakery and then started shifting that model to a similar kind of, I don't know if they're as open hiring kind of model as you are, but it's another kind of model where they, they try to create jobs for formerly incarcerated and stuff as well. So I feel like that's kind of analogous or whatever, or, or similar to kind of the model that you're building, but with you know a different product line. I mean, you're starting to get into slice breads. But with that said, how do you feel about that association with Dave's Killer Bread? Is that positive association or do you feel like what you're doing is different in some way? I haven't had them on the show, so I'm curious what you think of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're different in terms of like our product mix is different. Like our mission is definitely different. I think they, you know, our mission is like baked into our corporate structure or an employee-owned company. Like we have the folk, we both share the focus of hiring people who are formerly homeless or incarcerated. They focus on people who have been out much longer, sorry, than us, which is, you know, not good or bad, it just is. Whereas we focus on those 90 days, they typically focus on like at post one year being out. But yeah, different than with similar kind of like they had a bakery before that transitioned to slice breads. So there is some similarities there. But I also kind of like, I've tried to like really have a strong philosophy of here. Like I'm not a hater. Like if you've been around for third, like, like Acme is the big dog over here in the Bay Area, right? So it's like, hey man, when we're around for over 30 years, we'll stop talking shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. when Firebrand celebrates his 30 year anniversary, we could, we could talk some shit about other companies, but like they've built a strong company. They built a strong reputation. Like good for them, man. That's fantastic. Dave, you know, cashed out, got paid. Like, cool, man. That's great. I don't like, we try really hard to like, we don't hate on other companies that do have their own paths. There's companies like we started next to Blue Bottle in Emeryville, like, Blue Bottle, we saw Blue Bottle just like get the venture capital funding, explode to like be this national behemoth. It's cool. Awesome, man. That's not our path, but like, dude, great. Good job, James. Like crushed it. That's what he wanted to do. You know, like, so we try to like, every company is different. Every company has its own focus, but like, we're always happy when businesses succeed, you know, especially if businesses trying to do something, you know, good, you know, whether it's like, they're owned by a like the large second largest bread conglomerate in the world, you know. So it's like I don't know what they're doing or not doing, but it's like they seem to be trying. So it's like I'm not going to shit on them for any, you know what I mean. I just feel like we just try not to be in the business of talking shit because it's just they've done good things. So I think it's always positive when anyone succeeds, you know. Yeah, I was just curious. I buy their product from time to time. Sure. And I just like the whole grain and all the extra kind of seeds and stuff they put in there. But yeah. um, but I hadn't dug too much, too yeah. deep into whether or not they like truly live their mission or if it was more of like a, 
you know, maybe part of their past, but they're not really living into it anymore. So I was just curious on your take, but I totally respect, you know, the, you know, they're doing what they're doing. They've been around for a while and hopefully they continue to do great stuff. We're like the band that doesn't listen to other people's records when they're making their own <laughs> records. Like, yeah, I am also like fairly ignorant to like anything outside of my sphere. Like I don't have time to like, like I'm not on Instagram. You saw my LinkedIn profile. It's like fairly weak. Like <laughs> I have a daughter, I have a wife. We have a hundred people here that I have to give a shit about. Like I don't have time to like, I don't have the energy or time in my day to fill it with like shitting on somebody else. <laughs> like I just don't have, like I just don't have time to like try to be a good husband, try to be a good father, attempt to be a good CEO and like be a good boss like there's no space in that day and I have to work out, be healthy. Like there's just no space in that day to like focus on much else, you know? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. They always talk about, you know, comparison is the thief of joy and yeah. a bunch of other phrases. Right. But it's, it's not only just, you know, don't spend your time hating on others, but to your point, don't even spend your time being bothered by other people's paths because <laughs> it's, you're on your own path. You, there's not too much you can learn from other people that will truly translate into your life because they're coming at it from a different angle. They've got a different background. They have different experience. They have different resources and so on and so forth. So it's like you see their celebration, whatever, give them a high five, but yeah. you stay out focused on your path because otherwise you're just going to end up kind of miserable and grumpy and <laughs> bitter or whatever if, if you pay too much attention to other people. You don't know like what's actually true. Like, I love right, this company right. in Michigan called Zingerman's. Anybody who works with Firebrand has heard me talk about them ad nauseum. Like, I just annoy the shit out of everybody here because I talk about Zingerman's all the time. But I remember I went there to visit and talked to their, their, their the CEO and the owner, and he was, like, massively accessible, which is insane because he's got, like, 500 people. But, like, I was like, man, like, you guys have your shit together. You guys are, like, a well-oiled machine. Like, they are, like, apex company for me they are top of the heap and he's like man we fuck up all the time we make mistakes <laughs> constantly like it's like the way it looks may not be the way it actually is you know and like when he told me that it was just like almost permission to be like okay just back up a little bit like you're fine you know yeah totally that's funny that you say that because i one of my first clients uh brands that we built through my agency modern species is a little bake shop in Madison, Wisconsin called Bloom Bake Shop. And uh, she's getting ready to open up a new restaurant. So I'm working with her on a project right now. Again, as we we're digging in, she was telling me that she's doing some sort of like leadership development or like a vision mission workshop or something yeah. like that in Zingerman's and was going on about how amazing they are and how they they just crush it and they've got everything do, dialed in. And um, so good. So, uh, so I keep good. hearing about them. I got to look into them a little bit more and, and see what they're yeah, all and about. I, I'll, I'll tell just a brief story. I know that, you know, you have time here, but it, I went to go do the vision class with them. I had broken my foot like two weeks before, never broken anything in my life. I broke three bones in my foot doing deliveries. And I was like, shit, how am I going to go to Ann Arbor with this broken foot? I got a boot on the whole deal. I called them. I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to make it kind of up in the air. I'm not sure. Last minute was like, yeah, I'm going to go. Just just go. So I go there, and I got crutches, boot on, the whole thing. I show up, and like, you know, they have name tags. 
like, hey, Matt seat, you know, whatever, Gage's seat. They had an extra chair that had a name tag for my foot. <laughs> like, really? That's, like, that's amazing that detail. Like, so next level service. Like, and that company talks about service. They knew I was coming, knew I had a broken foot, thought, how can we make him comfortable and put up an extra chair with a name tag for my foot? It was like, it seems so small, but like the level of like the number of steps that they had to go through as a company that has over 500 people to think about my foot in comfort was like mind blowing to me. You know, it was like, that's next level giving a shit. You know, like, yeah, that's that is amazing. Awesome. And how do you even, I don't know if that's something you can systemize per se. It's not necessarily on no, their it's checklist. In their make sure nobody's broken their foot, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, so, so you just somehow, they are, you know, yeah, you just like hire the right people who care, or maybe there's training programs that teach you how to empathize and care. But yeah, that is pretty next level. That's impressive. Yeah. It's just it, the thing is with them, it's like the thing I learned about them is like they just are. Like, yes, they have a training program. Yes, they've got stuff on the walls. Their mission, vision, and values is, like, everywhere. It's also everywhere in a hotel and no one gives a shit. Like, it is, like, in everybody's soul there to do to be a certain way. And they have, like, they have done such a good job of distilling their mission down to everybody. Like, I randomly talk to people at all the different places, and it's the, the amount of similar stories and what they say. It's, like it's amazing just like that level of service it just is who they are there's no like yes they teach it and train it but like they also just teach that like this is the way to be and they are i mean they must hire for it right it's part of their process to i'm look sure for qualities in someone but then if they have that quality then you can train them on your specific mission and values and all that kind of stuff but they have to have that seed of giving a shit to begin with yeah you can't teach somebody to care right so they have to have that base care and then you teach them how you as a company specifically care for your yeah. customers so i'm sure it's somewhere baked in their hiring yeah and ari models that there's 500 people there he knows everybody's name he's a it's, massive so introvert and like he goes and talks to everybody like it's just insane you know like he does such a good job of being it, you know? Because it's like, what, shit runs downhill. So it's like, if he's not, then who else is going to care, you know? And so he just does such a good job of, like, embodying what it means to be at Zingerman's that that also is just, like, an example, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that just goes to show you how incredible you can, or all the value you can pass on to others when you have good leadership skills. Like I think a lot of people think I'm the leader. I just need to make financial decisions and whatever, but no, it's like leadership skills are how you're taking care of people, how you're thinking about them, how you're, you know, customizing your benefits as we've talked about how you're hiring, how you're supporting them when you have to fire them. There's just all these little soft quote unquote soft skills that go into leadership that I think, often get a little bit overlooked in like MBA programs or whatever, where they just teach yeah. you to like analyze profitability and stuff. But really like that stuff can be learned. It's that leadership quality of really caring and thinking about people that I think is 
so special. And like when you find that and you, and it's done right and supported by a good structure, like what it sounds like Zingerman's has, it just spreads throughout the company like wildfire, right? So that's a really cool goal to company to emulate. Speaking of which, do you know if those workshops that they do, like the visioning workshops, are those only for other like bakeries, restaurants, or is that something that any business can take? Yeah, any business. I think you can go there to do it or they can come to you. I think they're still doing that. They they used to do pre-pandemic. Yeah, or they have them online. I think they do online classes now, uh, where it used to only be in person. Yeah, anybody from any walk of life, any industry, any doesn't have to be food. Like it can be whatever. Like they teach it. Nice. I'll have to put some links to it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like most companies, I know you know you're always probably having to fundraise, right, to get capital to achieve whatever next big goal you're trying to accomplish. So what is it on your to do list right now with goals? Are you? I know you've got that big beautiful facility. You're talking about opening up another cafe and maybe launching some new products, like. What's on the horizon? What are you trying to work on right now that that you could put some capital to work with? Yeah, we're trying to fundraise right now to, to kind of expand out this sliced bread program. So expand out the sliced bread program, bring in some automation so we can expand some trainings that we're doing. But that's the big that's the big push this year is really kind of below, how do we blow out that sliced bread line and grow that and scale that, you know, still hold on to our core of of the hearth breads and pastries, but really kind of expand out that sliced bread line. So we're trying to get that to be, you know, in the next three to five years, a national product. Yeah. Right now, a lot of what you're doing is obviously your cafes and stuff, but then also servicing local grocery stores and doing wholesale stuff like selling to other companies that probably goes up in the private label or, or other things too, right? But so that sliced bread would maybe make it easier to expand nationally, potentially in in grocery stores in theory, because, well, I'm not sure what the difference is of shelf life, but I I imagine more like artisan crusty breads don't have as much of a shelf life as like sliced breads, right? So that's part of why it's easier to scale with that. Yeah. So there are artisan breads like a day or two, you know, the bigger ones can go three or four days, you know, but your baguette's a daily situation, but whereas the sliced breads are 28 days. You know, and that's all like natural kind of organic preservatives, nothing like nothing crazy in there. So we use all natural stuff in there. So, yeah, that's a much longer shelf life. So we could expand out, you know, beyond Northern California. Cool. So, yeah, that'll help you reach other people, but then also keep your facility running a more, you know, fill the line a little bit more. That's cool. Awesome. So maybe as we wrap up, I like to talk about the future and hopes and dreams and all sorts of stuff. So if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the industry, what would it be? One thing about the industry. I think it's sad how the service industry is viewed as like the like, like when the pandemic hit, it was like, oh, essential workers, essential workers, essential workers. Like, like, but these are also the people who get shit on constantly and need to do it with a smile who get treated with zero to no respect. So I think just a little more respect on the service industry's name a little bit. Like, you know, I think restaurants are making a dramatic change away from their culture, but I think just a better culture around like honoring what people do in the service industry. Like, I think that would be fantastic. Just people kind of like understanding, like when you're paying, you know, 
$8 for avocado toast. It's like, you know, like you may be, you're funding someone's healthcare. You're funding a gap in the system that this business is trying to make up for. You know, you're funding these people being left behind. Like that's, I think people don't understand all the costs that go into things, but yeah, just a little more respect for the food service industry in general and the, and the people who are making the things that you're buying. Yeah. So do you think the pandemic then with a lot of the shift towards realizing that these are essential workers doing very important work and a lot of companies standing up to support them, whether that's grants to help keep them in business or I saw so many brands like whether it was the frontline workers of hospitals or other kind of essential working kind of industries, there were all these brands stepping up to donate and to provide support and provide protection gear for them and, and just do whatever they could to try to give back to the service industry. Do you feel like that shift has helped? And do you feel like that shift will continue to stay part of the culture or where everyone just kind of go back to crapping on the service industry once the pandemic is officially over? I don't know. I mean, a little bit of both. I think some people will, you know, have a little more respect. I think people continued to crap on the industry throughout that time period. Like running, you know, running a cafe, like people were almost sometimes like elevated their standards yet didn't recognize like the reality of providing service when like, I can't see your face and like you're behind a glass screen and like you did your order with an app you know, you're trying to provide good service to that person at a time. Like, almost like the standards went up, but, like, the ability to do the job went way down. <laughs> so I think that was difficult. I think a lot of people did step up. I think, I don't know, I mean, I hope it continues, but it's it's hard in the Bay Area because there's like, it's a huge, you know, I mean, like a lot of people here in tech, or they're not in the food, they're not in the service industry, and so they don't maybe understand what it's like to be in the service industry from like, maybe they had a waitressing job in, in high school or in college, but like, they're not in, like, they're not like an industry worker. And so I think like that was kind of highlighted, you know, it was like that gap between like service level knowledge, you know, was pretty, pretty evident. Um, so in the Bay Area, I think it might be a little tough, but hopefully, I don't know, you know hopefully people can kind of be a little gentler and kinder to people who are in the in service industry. Well, I think being gentler and kinder in general is good. But yeah, for the <laughs> service industry, especially because they're out there, you know, especially during a pandemic, putting their lives at risk to make sure you get your avocado toast or whatever yeah. it is, right? And through the pandemic, everyone was so much shorter staffed or trying to pivot, trying to still get you what you need, but doing it with all these changing regulations and, and guidance on COVID, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So I feel like respect is due obviously my hunch was going to be maybe people who've worked in the service industry have more respect for the service industry because i know i you know did some work in the service industry during and after college and for me at least i'd do whatever i can to make their job easier whenever i'm out at a cafe or in a restaurant or in a retail shop or anything i can do because i know what they're going through and i know how tough it is to do that job sometimes. So maybe it's like the the people who've never worked there that are the rudest <laughs> or something yeah. like that because they've yeah, got this yeah. unreal like expectation. They're like, your job is easy. Like, why don't you just do this thing for me because I'm busy or whatever. But like what they don't realize is they're busy. <laughs> they're busier than you are probably. And no, that job isn't easy. Yeah. And then like, 
you know, I mean, I think from like going back like to the earlier part of the discussion about personal experience, like my mom was a nurse. She literally gave her life for nursing. She died of hepatitis C before they had the like cure for it. Like she died of hepatitis C that she got from getting pricked from a needle on the job as a nurse. She like ruined her back forever, you know, because she got like trying to like hold somebody down to give them a shot. The guy like kicked her across the room and like ruined her back. Like she gave her life for this, for her service industry. So I think that's kind of just in my, like being in the service industry is like very ingrained in who I am. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I think maybe to achieve your magic wand outcome, I have a proposal. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if we can pass this through the government. But I feel like if everyone would be required to spend at least some time working in the service industry and required to travel internationally, and that should be funded by the government or something like that, I think. (laughs) I don't know. But like, if you learn to appreciate different cultures and different approaches to life and that you don't know everything and there's not one way to do things, AKA like traveling internationally. And if you learn what it's like to, you know, serve others and give good service and then be, you know, yelled at or spit on or something like that in exchange. I think those two things would make people a lot more kind and respectful human beings. And then they could go on to do, you know, other things, whether that's stay in the service industry or, go off on some other career path as better humans. But because a lot of people don't do those two things, I think they have a little bit more narrow mindset and don't understand what it's like to be in other people's shoes. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. So I'll, I'll just start writing letters to the Congress or something like that, <laughs> see if we can get some programs be, funded. Or... <laughs> yeah. Be yeah, nice. Totally. Yeah. The be nice bill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, I have probably kept you long enough at the moment and you've got a lot of stuff to do. So I appreciate you carving some time out of your schedule to share a little bit more about your story. And again, I just really appreciate your focus on putting that mission first and just trying to make the world a better place through your business. I think it's amazing and I'm sure all your employees would agree (laughs) and I look forward to kind of continuing watching the journey and seeing those sliced breads end up in all the stores across the U.S. so we can do more good with better food. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Matt or his company, go to firebrandbread.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. And of course, if you work in the industry, come join our community at community.evolvecpg.com, and we'll go further, faster, together.